questions. I hope you've been encouraged over the last few weeks by some of the men that have come to preach God's word to you. We'll be back in Galatians 3 today, Lord willing. Esteban will continue Galatians next week. And then we have some other men that will be preaching uh, on the 16th. And maybe this, we might have to switch out mics if that continues. Um, we're going to start in verse 7, but primarily going to spend time on verse 10 and through 14. So before I read, I just want to make a mention of something. Something that we've talked about a bunch, uh, I think, through this series of Galatians is we've spent a lot of time talking about people who pervert the gospel. The Jews who would say, faith is good in Jesus, that's fine. It's a nice start, but it's not enough. We've talked about that, and we've talked about how awful it is for these men to teach another gospel. But one thing that I don't know that we've sufficiently warned against is uh, Satan himself wants to distort the gospel in your life. He has a great desire to see this church pervert the gospel. Satan is real, and he wants, he's working against you. Children, did you know that Satan's real? Do you know that? And he doesn't like you. And he wants to harm you. He doesn't want you to understand anything about Jesus. He wants to confuse you, to make it hard for you to trust in Jesus, and to trust God. He wants you to misunderstand the gospel. He thrives on making you unsure to question, do I really believe the gospel? Am I really saved? But he's also fine with you on the other side of the ditch, or the other side of the road in a different ditch. And so maybe for some of us, the gospel, we struggle with the gospel being unclear or distorted in the sense that we don't really know what it is, we're kind of unsure. Satan loves to do that, but, but also Satan loves to make you overly confident in your salvation. Why don't we also find with you being overly confident? The Jewish Christians who, in Galatia, who Paul is strongly opposing throughout this book, are in that ditch. Many people in our country are in that ditch, overly confident. They think they're saved, they never worry, never examine themselves, that they might be wrong, that they might misunderstand the gospel. I went to Texas for a wedding years ago, and I remember talking to people at this church, and they would, they all talked very, you're, you're from Texas, you've probably experienced this, uh, they talked, the people at least in this church were very confident that they were Christians, but they were very confident in, like, silly things because God had blessed them with lots of money. That's how they knew they were saved. And very odd conversations. They misunderstood the gospel, but they were confident, and Satan's happy for people to be in that ditch too. Young ones, did you know you don't go to heaven? Because your parents are Christians? Your parents bring you to church, or you read your Bible, or you guys pray before meals. That doesn't get you to heaven. Those are great things. 
but those don't get you to heaven. And the Jews thought that doing good things and obeying the law, that got them, that got them to heaven. But Paul has been teaching us that the good news of Jesus is actually that we don't get to heaven because of the good things that we do. We get to heaven because of the good things that Jesus did on our behalf. And we believe in Jesus, and we place our trust and our faith in Jesus, and we say, God, I'm, I'm not good enough to get to heaven. I'm a sinner, and I deserve to be punished. But I believe that Jesus died for my sins. So God, would you forgive me for my sins? And you trust in him. It's that simple. But the point that I'm just trying to make right now is that Satan is trying to trick you in some way. He wants to distort the gospel in your life, and he might do it in one of those ways that I've just mentioned. All that matters to him is that you misunderstand the gospel. Satan would love to make you feel confident because you come to church and you go to small group and you pray that you're saved. But remember, there were those in Galatia who were doing all the right things. They were checking off the right boxes. And they were still accursed by God because they were not placing their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And they were trusting in themselves and in their works. And instead, they tried to work, they tried to obey God to be made right with him. And Paul has been on a mission to obliterate that way of thinking. So let's continue in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, but I'm going to pray for us before we begin to read. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would humble us this morning as we continue through this series. Father, forgive us for the ways that we don't examine ourselves. Forgive us for our overconfidence at times and never wondering, and never looking at our lives and examining what's going on in our hearts and what we're actually trusting in. Father, I pray that you'd help me speak clearly, and where I'm unclear, I pray that your spirit would do an extra work to help us understand your word this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was public, publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that the, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive 
the promised spirit, through faith. Paul says in verse 10 that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And we're going to spend a good amount of time in, chapter, in verse 10, excuse me. Paul has already talked about people being under a curse. If you remember back in chapter 1, he says that if anybody tries to preach to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. And so there's this type of teaching that's so awful and so wicked that Paul says that even if an angel or I come to you and I preach to you a different gospel, we should be accursed. It's that serious. And so today I want to present a warning for us. I want to present a warning for us because for some of you, the temptation that you may have felt going through Galatians is to hear the gospel. You've heard it preached a lot in the last months. You've heard it preached multiple times in multiple ways from different angles and applied to us a little differently. And you've heard this for many years, even before this series. And you think, yourself, think to yourself, I understand this. I'm not in danger of being like the Jews here in this story who have distorted the gospel. I know the gospel. But I hope you'll humble yourself this morning, at least for this morning, and do what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, and examine yourself to see whether you are, in the, you are in the faith. So when you preach to a whole church, you have various people at different stages of life, various stages of faith and maturity in Christ. Some people have been Christians for a few months. Some people have been Christians for decades. Different strengths and different weaknesses. Some of you struggle with your assurance and you're constantly wondering if you're in the faith. You're always examining yourself. So my exhortation to examine yourself is I do that all the time. And you don't feel confident of your salvation and your pastors don't want you to be there and we want to help you and actually in fact part of the reason that we picked this series of Galatians one of our goals was to bolster you up and help you feel confidence that you are in Christ and understand the gospel and I hope that you've found this series through Galatians refreshing and that you've gained maybe more confidence than you had at the beginning and so when I tell everybody, and I want to warn everybody this morning to examine yourself, you're not really the person that I have in mind particularly. Now, I still want you to do it, but you're not who I'm most worried about right now. Others of you are too confident in your faith and you never examine yourself. And it's you whom I'm thinking of and warning you this morning to examine yourself. Now, being confident is not a sin. We want you to be confident. But we also want you to examine yourself. And some of you can't examine yourself rightly because your vision is so bad because you're puffed up with pride that you can't even see what's going on clearly. And so I hope through this message and through the rest of this series that God will soften your heart and he'll start to open up your eyes and to show you how much you need to grow in understanding the gospel. Because just because you can recite the gospel clearly 
and you've heard it for 10, 20, 30, 60 years, doesn't mean that you're still not trusting in these legalistic works to make you right with God. It's you who are in that ditch that I'm focused and worried about this morning. But regardless of who you are, you should read verse 10, and that should be an alarm for you. A warning bell, a siren going off in your head to humble yourself. Because here's the reality. The people in Galatia, many of them thought they were pleasing to God. But instead, they were under a curse. They may have been nice, upstanding citizens in the church. They could have been the sweetest person in the church. But they believed false gospel. The kids of the church might have loved them. They might have been the best Sunday school teacher the church had. But they're under a curse because they were believing the false gospel. And so since we're on this side of the Bible and we're reading this, now it's easy to think, well, surely the real Christians in Galatia, they knew what was up. They weren't tricked by any of this stuff. You know, Paul's letter, that was helpful that it came to them, but they didn't really need it. They would have been fine without it. Eventually they would have corrected course because they were mature. And if I was there, I would be with those people. I definitely would not have been tricked by anything going on. I would have been one telling them exactly what Paul was telling them, and I would have been able to see, see, look, Paul's saying the same thing I've been telling you. Except that's not the case. We read at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul's calling the church foolish because they were tricked, they were bewitched. They had heard solid teaching from Paul. He had taught them the gospel, then he had left, and they were tricked, and they were bewitched quickly. Paul literally begins Galatians, his letter, in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And see, if you're humble, you think, well, maybe I am like the Galatians in some way. Maybe I could be bewitched. Maybe I'm unaware of it. I just, I'm not even seeing it clearly in my life. And so, God, would you this morning please divide, pierce, Help me understand even my own heart and what I'm believing in order to make sure that my doctrine is pure and my understanding of the gospel is pure. Maybe I'm actually no better than the Galatians. Maybe I'm not just inherently smarter than them because I'm in the 21st century and I've heard somebody preach Galatians 3 before. That's what I want you to say with a humble heart this morning. But still, some of you won't humble yourself. 
and you've read Galatians before, and you've heard sermons on this topic, and so you're quick to just think, yeah, I'm, I am smarter than the Galatians. And it's that kind of pride that can be so destructive to you personally and to a church as a whole, because if you harden your heart like that, and you go through this whole series of Galatians, and you never once examine yourself to think that maybe there's ways in your life that you're relying on your works to make yourself pleasing before God, well, your heart is likely harder than a rock. And how do you know if you're living like somebody who's trusting in their works? It can show up in lots of ways. I'm not going to be able to say all of them. Because you may be ultra-faithful. And you attend small group every week. You read your Bible every day. And you journal. You check every Christian box that someone could expect of you. You serve faithfully. Your life is neat and orderly. People look at you and they're impressed by you. But when it comes to your love, you're extremely immature for where you should be. And you should be much farther along. And that immature love could be evidenced in numerous ways. Here's some of the ways that it could be. The way that you talk to your kids behind closed doors is awful. Your love for your spouse is embarrassing. You're quick to judge others that you think are weaker than you. You have little to no concern for the poor or downtrodden. The marriage bed is cold. You're on the phone a stupid amount of time while your family wastes away. Your relationship with God feels stale. Someone else is always the problem. It's always your spouse messing up far more than you. You think yourself as much more important than others. You're rarely generous. Your tips to your waiter are pathetic. And so here's the thing. I'm guessing that for lots of us, one thing that I just said may be like, yeah, that is true of my life. Maybe a couple of those examples hit home, and you may think, yeah, you know, my concern for the weak and the poor in our church, it's not exi- it doesn't really exist. You're right. I am, I'm stingy, I guess, yeah. But instead of humbling yourself, and wondering if there's ways that you're relying on works of the law and it's making your love unable to grow, you're still tempted to rely on your works to kind of prop yourself up to prove to yourself that you're actually pretty mature. And so you think, well, yeah, I know I could care for these people better, uh, but my, mar- my marriage is actually pretty solid and we do not fight. I don't raise my voice. And so I'm actually doing pretty well. Well, I work really hard, and I'm, I'm wise. I'm wise with my money. I'm wise with my time. And God's pretty impressed with me. And so there's no way that I would be like those Galatians who would be tricked so easily. I read my Bible every day. I don't miss a Bible study. I, I, don't, I donate a lot to missionaries, way more than probably the rest of my church. And so you're, you're tempted, instead of just humbling yourself and thinking, well, maybe there are ways that I'm like the Galatians, 
You instead rely on the very works that I'm trying to tell you don't make you right with God. And so you prove my point that you're no better, you're no wiser than the Galatians. Another fruit that you may be trusting in the works of your law, the works of the law for your salvation, is that your love for Jesus has grown cold. Your love for his word is non-existent. Your relationships with those in the church, your small group, and for God is stale and cold. And so what I'm asking for this morning, if any of those fruits are true of you, can you humble yourself and just think, maybe I'm more like the Galatians than I think. Please humble yourself. And read what verse 10 says. And hear the danger signs and the warning sign and the wake-up call that it is. Humble yourself before the Word of God and examine yourself if there are ways that you're trusting in your works. So let's look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The opposite of a curse is a blessing. And the blessing of Abraham that verse 14 talks about, for those who live by faith as they receive the Spirit of God. And so those who live by faith, they receive the Spirit of God, they receive that blessing, and those who do not live by faith do not have that blessing of God. They do not receive the Spirit through faith. They don't have the Spirit. They don't have God. They're separated. This isn't they had a little bit of blessing, but they didn't get the bonus blessing. It's not, well, I, I didn't get my bonus at work this year, but I'll be all right. I had my blessing of, I got my salary, but I didn't get that bonus. No, this is the difference between life and death. One gets God, and one way of thinking and believing is cursed. This is a dead serious issue, and you should read verse 10 and be serious about it. Now, one point I want to make is that you've heard us, and you've probably heard Christians talk about legalism before. Those who do the law, but their heart isn't right when doing it. Well, Paul doesn't really have a word to describe legalism. There's no like Greek word that he's like, okay, this means legalism. Jesus talks about the concept all the time. Paul talks about the concept. But you don't see the Pharisees were legalistic or legalism translated in your Bible because there's not a clear word that Paul can use. And so Paul talks about the law sometimes, and it seems like Paul's talking negatively about the law. Like the law was this bad thing. But rather what Paul is doing is he's, when he's talking like, about the works of the law. He's talking about the misuse of the law. Using it incorrectly, not how Moses or God ever intended it for it to be used. Remember, we've talked about God has always required and expected faith, even from the time of Moses. It's not like Jesus came and God changed the planet and now it's about faith. Before, faith didn't matter. We just had the law. It didn't matter about it. That's not how the Old Testament is. Faith was always expected. And that's why so many Christians in our day 
get so messed up about the law because they think it's a bad thing. They read verses like this, they think it's a bad thing. The law had to be a bad thing. Look how he's talking about the law. But really, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And you should love the law. That's why the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. But Christians can get out of their, they can get in their heads, they can't get out of their heads sometimes. And they hear somebody say, Oh, how I love your law. And they think that person has to be a legalist. He loves the law. But loving God's law doesn't make you a legalist. Misusing it and trying to use it to justify yourself and climb up to God, that's wrong. That's when the law is misused. But the law in itself is good. And so when Paul says works of the law, he's almost always referring to this misuse, this legalistic view of the law. Trying to justify yourself before God, which is totally contrary to the gospel. My point is this. Obeying the law is a wonderful thing, okay? Especially for you younger ones who might be tempted to think the law is a bad thing. Obeying the law is a wonderful thing. The fruit of a person who has genuine faith, they obey God. They love the law. In fact, if you have saving faith in Christ, the result will be that you begin to grow in obeying God. It's like if you plant a, a seed in good soil and you water it and it grows. Well, if a person has real saving faith, they'll grow and they'll produce fruit. But the fruit didn't save them. Their faith saved them. Not because they did some nice thing. Because God saved them, they started going to church. They started singing. They started praying to him. But doing those things didn't save them. That's not legalism. Legalism is I go to church, I sing songs, I have a good marriage. My marriage says we want to honor God. I give to the poor. I give my children my time. I serve others. I pray for people all the time. I read my Bible every day. I have prayer journals filled up. I do this good thing, and so therefore God loves me. That's legalism. So don't read your Bible and think law is bad. Grace is awesome. No. The law is amazing. Grace is wonderful. Legalism is bad. Remember what it says back in verse 3 of chapter 3? What's it say? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Remember, I've told you, the people preaching this false gospel, they weren't saying, Jesus is bad, you shouldn't believe in Jesus, terrible. No. Jesus is great. But also you need to be circumcised. And so Paul says, are you so foolish? Are you really this dumb? Don't you remember when I came and I preached the gospel to you and you began your walk with the Lord and the power of the Spirit? You saw how incapable you were to obey God, but your spirit, it came alive when you heard the gospel. And you became a new creation through faith. Are you now going to go back to those old ways that made you feel so dead 
Now you're going to be perfected by those things. The Spirit did all this work in you. You saw all this, the Spirit of God doing all this work, and now you're just like, yeah, I don't need the Spirit. I've, I can just continue to grow in myself. Are you really wanting to go back to that? I think that's a good reminder for all of us. For some of you, you should think back to when you came to faith. Maybe for some of you that was you can't remember that because you grew up in you grew up in a family that taught you the gospel at a young age. But you remember a time when you were living by faith. But now maybe your heart is cold towards God. And so you do a lot of Christian things. But this once bright flame that burned for God, this love you had for God with a heart full of faith. It now feels like a dim light that's flickering and almost is out. And it very well may be because you're trusting and relying on your works to make yourself right before God. And you forgot that God started this journey by giving you the gift of faith. And that's how you ride this entire life through the whole way. But the second that you turn the law into this ladder to climb to God, that's when you begin to die. So some of you need to come back to your first love of Christ. You need to humble yourself and say, I've been trying to live and please God like this for the last year, five years, 20 years, relying on my good works and it's killing me. I haven't been growing like I should. My marriage should be way better than it is. It's not my spouse's fault. It's my fault. My love for the weak is pitiful, and it's because I'm always thinking of myself. I'm so quick to judge others and their faults and their weaknesses. But really, if you saw all the ways that I sin, I would be embarrassed. Or maybe just a good start is God... My love for you is so weak. And it's because I've been trying to please you by doing all these things instead of just enjoying the gift of faith that you gave me. Some of you have sins that you probably need to confess because when you're living in the flesh, you jump into sins that you often know you shouldn't do, but you're powerless to do anything about it because you're not walking with the Spirit's help. See, some of you, you still won't humble yourself because to be honest that you've done this for years is too shameful for you. And you have so much pride that you don't want people to know that you've been this whitewashed tomb for so long. People have looked at you as a leader or a mature Christian. The cup looks great on the outside, but there's death on the inside. A person who is living by the flesh and trusting in their works but humbles themselves, they'll confess their sin. They'll confess the ways that they've been trusting in their own works and the, how they've been failing. They'll be ready and wanting correction from God and from their pastors, wanting advice from spiritual fathers and mothers because they know they need help. 
And so this message for this morning is for those of you who are trusting in your works. Even if you could recite the gospel perfectly, you're still trusting in your works, and you need to stop it and confess it before God and others and begin again to trust in Christ, maybe even for the first time. Because look at what Christ has done for you. Go to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. He paid for your transgressions. He paid for your misuse of his perfect law, your legalism, your pompous, proud heart that thought yourself better than the Galatians. He died for all the sins so that the blessing of Abraham might come to us and we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And I can't stress enough for those of you with cold hearts, spend some time today thinking back when you started this race. Think about the times that you were living by faith, how much better they were. But if things have changed and you've been trusting in your good works, well, just confess your sins. Jesus died for them. He's happy to, he's happy to forgive you, even if you've been walking this way for decades. God is calling you this morning to humble yourself. You are not better than the Galatians. Remember what Christ has done for you. Repent and turn to him in faith. This is pleasing to God, not your works done in the flesh. So let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your law. And we love your law. Father, we want to obey your law with right hearts. Hearts that do it because we love you. Not hearts that do it so that we can prove to ourselves or to others or to you how good we actually are. Father, for maybe some of us who have been trusting in our works for so long and our hearts are cold towards you, would you help us repent? confess our sins, and would you meet us graciously and pour out your grace and your spirit upon us and help us once again be trusting in you and walking by faith and, and see the power of the spirit help us put to death our sins and bring joy and satisfaction and contentment in our lives. Father, thank you that it is not based on what we have done, but what you have done. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.